Hey, this is Pastor Zach, and thanks for listening to the Center Point Church Podcast. Remember, hope is alive, and his name is Jesus. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing today? Guys, I feel like death right now. I haven't thrown up yet, but I believe it's on the way at some point. And actually, it's really funny. I, I do have, um, as Debbie calls it, her bucket behind the stage when she got sick. So it's back there. And I also carry a spare garbage bag in my pocket. So uh, this is not like a joke or a sermon illustration. Uh, my wife is home sick, and her and my son have been sick the last couple of days, some kind of bug going around. So, Yeah. That's what we're dealing with, amen? So, hey, if you didn't notice, I didn't see you in the lobby. It's because I was locked away in my office, and as soon as I say amen here, I'm going to sneak out and uh, uh, wish you a merry fellowship, and thanks for coming today via Facebook, you know? So um, be, sure to, uh, be sure to give me a like on there, right, and give me a fist bump on Facebook. But um, uh, I feel rough today, and, and because of that, I need some help today from you guys. Church, how are we doing today? Come on, here we go. Oh, come on now. Look at this. I, I, I typically make fun of those guys that have these stools out here. I'm like, who needs a stool? Some boring guy that's going to sit there and point at a whiteboard and teach. And uh, at some point, uh, I have a tendency to pass out whenever I get sick like this. So I got this to like, give me something to hold on to and sit down. And Debbie's a trained nurse, so that's good, too, that she's on the front row with me. You got me, sis. You got me. Um, but we're going to jump right in. Uh, we started last week talking about Christmas and this greatest story ever told series. And um, I want to look at the story in Matthew 2. You see, Jesus was born, as we know, if you're familiar with the, the story of Jesus, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the, king of, the reign of King Herod. And there were magi or wise men as we know them by. How many people here have put out a nativity in the last several weeks, right? Somebody here, you've put one out. How many people have seen a nativity in the last few weeks, right? There was one on the screen like two seconds ago. Everybody's hand should be up. This is just seeing if you're paying attention today. And in that nativity, that nativity scene, how many wise men were there? Three. So something interesting about the reason there are three is that, you know, tradition added details. You know, their names, uh, you know, as, as uh, scholars and historians claim, are uh, actually these crazy names, Melkor, Gaspar, and Balthazar. But, like, we kind of don't really know. It's like, well, we've discovered some names of some wise men, some kings, some spiritual leaders, and they were kind of in the same vicinity during Jesus, so, yeah, might as well be them. So, uh, okay, cool. So, I guess we're going to call those those guys, the, the three wise men. And so, the, but the problem is we don't really know. We don't really know which one brought what gift. We don't really know if there were three or if there were 300. We just know there were several. And, and, and um, for sake of having a pretty nativity scene, you got to have three shepherds, you know, three wise men, whatever, and like a donkey cow and something else, you know what I mean? Somebody hides the little baby Yoda in there. It's kind of awesome too. Uh, you know, just something fun. You got you to make it all even out here. But You've got to understand about these wise men, these magi, that they were desperate to meet who was said to be the savior of the world. And we're going to jump right in here to Matthew 10. I'm sorry, Matthew 2, 
picking up in verse 10. It says this, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, we had a baby back in January, and, and, you know, last fall, you know, people gave us a lot of gifts, and um, they didn't give us any gold. Uh, I don't think we got any frankincense. Uh, you know, some of you, some of you guys that are essential oils probably still use that. We didn't get any myrrh. You know, we got all the practical stuff for a baby, like, you know, diapers, onesies, blankies, you know, passies, the baby snot sucker. You know what I mean? I was just expecting the old blue ball one. It's like, thunk, thunk. Now they have this thing called a nose Frida. Yeah, yeah. Somebody got the bright idea. They thought, listen, what if instead of just using sanitarily our hands, what if we put a little valve with a tube that you can suck on? So you're going to sit here like this and try to cram this thing up your baby's nose. And when you get up there and it gets the boogers, you just and suck it. It pulls it back in the chamber. And hopefully that little, that little valve doesn't open up too much. His little boogies go right down your throat. <laughs> and it's on everybody's list for, uh, you know, baby registries, right? A nose Frida. Look it up. It's disgusting. It's horrible. I've used it. It's like, you know, and it, it, I don't think it works that good. I'm like, oh, this thing kind of is awful. Like, you know what I mean? So uh, be, sure to, be sure to look it up if you're not familiar with it. But... These guys, they brought gold. Now, there's a reason they brought some of, some of this stuff. So gold signified the kingship of Jesus. He was going to be the king of the Jews. There was some prophecy being foretold here. And so when they gave him gold, this represented the kingship, the importance of who Jesus was, who he was going to be. Myrrh was, uh, was given... Um, uh, it, was, it was used along with the sacrifices. And, and it was given as kind of a representation of the suffering servant Jesus would become. He would serve the community and ultimately would serve up until the death as a suffering servant. But the frankincense we look at today, um, you know, I've, I know several of you are into essential oils. And I've made fun of you clearly multiple times. And um, I just really want to say today... I'm not going to stop that because it's hilarious, but uh, we're talking about it today. But if you look up, if you look up frankincense and what it's used for, it, it has some different properties. It actually possesses antiseptic, uh, astringent, carminative, diuretic, digestive, sedative, uterine, and vulnerary therapeutic properties. Frankincense is kind of a one-stop shop for you know, a gift. It's, it's kind of practical. You can kind of use it in different ways. Not feeling so hot? Just uh, put a little frankincense on it. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was used in many, many different ways. It was a very practical thing. It was a very expensive gift and it helped treat sickness and wounds. Now on the spiritual side of it, these priests, they actually used frankincense. They would burn it and they would do a fragrant offering to God, symbolizing prayer as smoke rising to the heavens. So when they would light these incense and say their prayers, seeing that smoke flowing through the air, that was symbolic. Like they, they saw that as their prayers going up to heaven. And they used frankincense in order to do this. Now, um, frankincense symbolized the priestly nature of Jesus. 
He came to be our high priest. And now, unless you were raised Catholic, I know a couple of you actually were, unless you were raised Catholic, Jesus and kind of seeing him as a high priest, uh, it's probably a little confusing. You probably don't quite understand exactly what happened. So let me break this down. Can I, can I break this down a little bit for you? Is that okay? Are you with me today? Amen. Amen. Okay, here we go. Here we go. So let me talk about the priest for a moment. The priest the priest represented the people of God, and they had two functions. And th- this is what their functions were. They, they made sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. Priests would be the ones who made the sacrifice. And then the second thing priests did is priests prayed prayers on behalf of the people of God. You tell the priest what you're dealing with, the priest takes it and he prays for it. You tell the priest you've sinned and done a bad thing, okay, well, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna slaughter something. You know what I mean? We're going to slaughter some animal and spread some blood, and that's what we have to do to, uh, to, to pay for this atonement here. That's what we've got to do. And you see, these two functions, they go back a long time since Adam and Eve the sacrifices for our sins, since the moment Adam and Eve sinned, there have been two opposing forces at work. There have been two opposing forces, forces, forces at work. The holiness of God versus the sinfulness of man. We're going to talk about sin. Can I talk about sin, church? Is that all right? In this day and age, can I talk about sin? And call it out. Amen? All right. We got all the Baptist people here today. They sit there and look at you and twiddle their thumbs. What's up, right? As we talk about sin, we look at the other side of it. We look at holiness. Being holy or to be set apart, transcendentally separate. Sin isn't a popular concept. You know, a lot of people run around, well, who's to, ta- who's to tell you what's, what's sinful for me? How do you know, how do you know I've sinned? What, well, what is really sin? What is it? You know, like, you got that people, well, it feels good in the moment, so Lord, do it. I don't care if it's sin. You're gossiping right now about that lady. You remember my lady that works at the bank? He's gossiping all the time. She's like, come over here. Let me tell you something. What happened at Sunday school yesterday? That man and that woman over there, she's married too. They've been seeing each other. I think they've been on that Facebook and they've been sending, you know what I mean? Like, like, hey, you want to talk about sin? Because you're gossiping. That's a sin too, right? Well, who's to say, who's to say what it was? I was just sharing some information just to let you know. Like, we, we downplay sin in our society, in our culture. Uh, a lot of people run around preaching that it is an outdated concept used to scare children to be good. Sin? Why do we need sin in this world? I've got an elf on a shelf. (laughs) Like, yeah, my kid doesn't have to fear a great and powerful God. He, he's scared of old Cookie, the elf, you know what I mean? Old Wally. Look at him. He got silly string all over the kitchen. He's watching you while you sleep in case you sin or do something bad. You know, like, it's, it's, we, we, we don't, we don't recognize this concept of sin in a way that we should. And, and a lot of people in this world, they run back to that whole, you, you can't tell me what's right or wrong. I can choose myself. If it feels good, it's okay. And if it's okay, you know, it's feel good, just, I'm just going to live, I'm going to live, uh, live my truth today. And it feels good. And I'm going to do it. Well, maybe there's some sin in that too, you know, what you decided to do. I know, but I'm, you know, I just feel like it's what I need to do. 
I'm like, you know, I just feel like what I need to do right now is I need to go out and stop a train on some tra- train tracks. I'm just going to go put my hand out. I feel it. In, it just my chakra is aligned. I feel like I could put my hand up and stop that train. I just want to do it. I want to live my truth and stop that train. No, you don't. You're going to get ran over, and it's going to hurt, and you're going to be dead, and you're going to be squished all over the place, and nobody's going to remember you for living your truth trying to stop that train. So stop it. It's kind of like that. We've got to be holy, set apart, transcendentally separate, perfect, flawless, pure. You see, holiness isn't one of God's attributes. He has perfection of all of them. In his power, he has holy power. In his justice, he has a holy justice. In his mercy, there is a holy mercy. Holiness makes worthy praise. He is worth praising and worth celebrating. Because he is holy, because he is perfect and we are not, The scripture says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin are death and God hates sin. It hurts him. He doesn't like that. He doesn't like to see a sin. He hates it. He rejects it. He can't even look upon it. And we we feel it. We feel it. Have you ever told a lie, deceived somebody that you love? You ever been on the receiving end of somebody you love lying to you? It hurts going both ways. It doesn't matter where you were at in that that little that little moment. Sin enters in, and it hurts, and it stings, and it's hard to look at. We feel it. Maybe you were young and and you started experimenting with uh, substances of some kind, and smoking, drinking, and an addiction slowly forms and. Uh, you know, you're stuck in that place and you're addicted to it. And maybe you're a person who's overly critical, judgmental. Maybe you're like my friend I worked with at the bank when I was a teller in high school. Sweet Sunday school lady that gossiped more than anybody I've ever met in my life. And uh, maybe you gossiped that you were very judgmental at the time. Maybe you lose your temper on a regular basis. And maybe you lose your temper at the smallest of things. And maybe it's not just, I get a little frustrated, a little upset. Maybe that anger problem you have is is reflective of a sin problem. Maybe you've looked at something and said, I'm not going to look at that again. I'm not going to watch that again. Yet you go back and you watch it again. And you do the same stupid things you said you weren't going to do. Then you do it. Then you feel bad. And then you say you're not going to do it. And you go back and you do it again. Imagine, imagine if you will, maybe you're in that place that you do it. You've got to understand there is this holiness of God. He is holy. He is perfect and good. And there is this sinfulness of man. And there is this separation between them. The separation. So in the Old Testament, here's what the priest did. They would do a one-year sacrifice. This was called the Day of Atonement. If you have any Jewish brothers or sisters, friends, they know this as Yom Kippur, um, the Day of Atonement. And the priest would sacrifice an innocent animal in the tabernacle behind a veil called the Holy of Holies. Imagine we took some of these curtains, we stuck a place right here, and you got done, the band got done, and then in comes Pastor Zach with the baby goat walking down the aisle. He takes it in the curtain, and it's like, 
you know, then, you know, it's just awful. Like, that's kind of what it was. It sounds kind of crass to say, but this is what was going on in the Old Testament. The priest would sacrifice an innocent animal in the tabernacle behind a veil that they called the Holy of Holies. They would burn this incense, the frankincense. They would burn it, representing the prayers of the people. And then they would sprinkle blood on what was called the mercy seat. They would slit that goat's throat or a sheep or whatever young innocent lamb animal it was and they had available that would work and meet the criteria. And they would sprinkle the blood over a seat that they called the mercy seat. That's where the mercy takes place. That's where you're forgiven and your your sins are gone. Then it gets crazier. It gets a little crazier. They bring in a second animal, a second goat, You ever heard the phrase, a scapegoat? This is where it comes from. They bring in a second goat, and then they confess the sins of the people to that goat, and it symbolically transfers the sins from the people into that goat. And then they send the goat into the wilderness. Sometimes they send it off a cliff, and then they, uh, you know, the sin is forgiven and removed. Once that goat is gone out of sight, out of mind, dead, whatever, off a cliff, that second goat is gone. Their sins at that point have been forgiven. Forgiven. The first innocent animal is a sacrifice for and a payment for our sins, but the second animal, the scapegoat, runs out of the community and the sins that had been separating us from, from God from humans and God at that point, that goat's carrying them and, and going to go die somewhere. These sacrifices, were they extreme? Yep. Were they gross? Totally. Were they unfair and kind of weird? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, these things are, are strange. Who wants to run around killing innocent animals? It's like, oh, I think I'm going to find a new religion because that kind of sucks. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I like, you know... I like lamb and that kind of stuff, but I don't want to be running around back. Well, shoot, I stubbed my, sto- my, stubbed my toe and I said a curse word. I should probably kill a, a goat today. Like, you know what I mean? Get atonement for it. But that's exactly how they saw it here. But because God is just, he must, must punish our sin. Not, but not only is he just just, He is also merciful. This is where people get hung up. People can't understand that God can be both a just God and a merciful God who loves you. Over here, over here, we've got a lot of people in a lot of our churches get hung up on this. He's a just God. He's gonna burn up all them sinners and people wearing hats backwards on their head and stuff. And, uh, you know, he's gonna burn them. I heard a guy preach in church one time that that he's like, I'll tell you what I saw this week. I saw this boy, he had a a cap on backwards. I didn't know if he was coming or going. I didn't know which way he's going. Look at that. Just evil sin, you know, and he's calling it sin. I'm like, really? That's, uh, I can show you some sin, but that ain't it, right? You know what I mean? Like a backwards hat is not sin. I heard that one time, and we've got these people that are hung up on God being only a just God, that they can't comprehend that he is also a merciful God who wants the best for us. He just can't as a just God. He just, he just cannot let sin go. Sin has to be punished. But I want you to know this, that the sacrifice satisfies God's justice, and at the same time, it extends mercy. 
that extends mercy. What happened here at Yom Kippur on this day of reckoning, this day of atonement? This was a temporary covering of the people's sins. This is under the old covenant before Jesus came. Guess what? We as followers of Christ are under the new covenant. Aren't you thankful today that we're not out slaughtering goats for sacrifices today? My buddy Joe has a farm, and he slaughtered a goat or two in his day. But I promise you, it's for food and feeding only. But you've never sacrificed that goat up to the Lord because you don't have to because that's an old covenant goofy thing, and we are under the new covenant. Somebody say amen for that. I'm thankful for the new covenant. It says this. Check this out. Here's a, here's a good piece of scripture in Hebrews. It says this. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. It was good 2,000 years ago when he died on a cross as the ultimate sacrifice, and it's still good today. Aren't you thankful for that? Jesus was our high priest. He paid the price for our sins, not a temporary covering, but a permanent removal. My sins are gone. The junk that I used to do is gone. That's the old me. Jesus paid the sacrifice, and I am his, and he is mine, and I have been forgiven, and I have been set free today because of Jesus. Come on. That's good. Not just a distant Savior who feels sorry for us, but Jesus is a high priest who understands, who cares for us. Take a look at the scripture in Hebrews right here. It says, so then we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Jesus understands our weaknesses. Jesus understands what's going on. Jesus understands what we are feeling today. He relates to our trials. He sympathizes with our pain. He understands what you're going through at this very moment. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying and all his friends, his disciples, they abandoned him. They left him there. He cries out and he says, my soul is overwhelmed in agony to the point of death. Jesus had some crazy family. Raise your hand today if you got some crazies in your family. Amen, right? Those people that aren't raising their hand are probably the crazies in their own family. <laughs> Jesus had some crazy people who thought he had lost his mind. They, didn't, they were like, I'm not the crazy one. Oh, Jesus is over here saying he's the savior of the world. The craziest thing. 
I didn't believe it until I saw his mom try to give him a bath, and he just sat on top of the water. It was weird. It's crazy. I love that old cartoon. Jesus sitting on top of the bathtub, baby Jesus, you know. <laughs> Jesus Christ, who was conceived out of wedlock to a teenage mom, who grew up in a very small town, and he probably was picked on, known around time as the little bastard boy who didn't know who his dad was who lived in poverty, who was criticized, ridiculed, and bullied, who was tempted over and over and over again by the devil, attacking his most vulnerable, but he never gave in, who had a close friend die, and he grieved the loss of family members. It hurt. Jesus went through it. He was accused of things he didn't do, and people talked, and even his own friends betrayed him, and Worst of all, he felt abandoned and deserted by God when he was on the cross. Now, let me say this. He wasn't abandoned, but he sure felt like it, and it felt that way. When Jesus, the great high priest, became sin for us, he gave his life. God looked away. When Jesus was hanging on the cross right there, God looked away because God is too holy to look upon sin. And Jesus cried out in agony, and he said, God, where are you? Father in heaven, Abba, where are you? God had been with him every step of the way, and it got to this one moment, and he had to look away because God couldn't look upon sin because of that separation of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. Jesus felt it. He knew what it meant to be hurt. He knew what it meant to feel pain. He knew what it meant to feel betrayed. He lived it. What you feel, he felt. Where you hurt, he hurt. God was not sitting up in heaven, and he's still not sitting up in heaven pointing down saying, sucks to be you. That's not who he is. That's not in his nature. That's not what he does. He is our high priest, and he understands us. Hebrews 4, 14 says this. It says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we, there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Man, that's good will find grace to help us when we need it most. You don't have to cower. You don't have to sacrifice anything. You don't have to come find me and say, Zach, I got this going on. Will you take this to the Lord for me? I'll gladly do it and pray along with you and pray for you, but my prayers aren't any more special than your prayers. I am not a priest I'm, I'm in this boat with y'all. Like I, I, When you leave here, I don't sacrifice anything and do anything special to offer those prayers up. I pray for you throughout the week. I pray for your cards that you write on prayer cards, and, and I do that. But I am not a priest. That's not what, what we do. And that's not how we are supposed to approach the Lord. We don't have to approach formally. We don't have to only use King James King James uh, language. It's always funny to meet somebody who, you know, they find out you're a preacher. Oh, you're, you're a preacher? Yeah, yeah. You know, oh, it's, uh, I used to go to church. Okay, cool. 
you should still go. Like sometimes, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, preacher, we're having pizza here. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, won't you pray for us? Okay, most gracious host of lords, we magnify thee thine name in the thine presence of thine those thee. Like, I'm like, you're making stuff up. Nobody understands it. I don't understand King James. That's why I don't speak it. That's why I don't really read it. It's all right. You don't have to. It never says you have to approach the Lord with only King James language. It never says it anywhere. Newsflash, it doesn't. So you don't have to. You can approach him boldly with confidence and assurance that you are loved and you are welcome in the presence of the King of Kings. There's not a veil anymore that you have to stay back while I sacrifice a goat inside. There's not a special chair that I'm going to sprinkle blood on. You and I can go boldly before our Lord. That's the biggest difference between living under the old covenant and we as followers of Christ living under the new. The details of God. In the beginning, the word became flesh. The world started off and history started to take place and things happened and then God sent these magi, these wise men with this gift of frankincense. There was prophecy taking place here. There was some foreshadowing, some symbolism going on here. Jesus, our high priest, was going to offer his life to help us in our time of need. So let us approach Jesus today. Hey, this is Pastor Zach, and thanks for listening to the Centerpoint Church Podcast. Remember, hope is alive, and his name is Jesus.